We're going to read now from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and verses 1 to 22. And we're going to read about the account of the entry into Jerusalem. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing? Untying that colt. They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, and since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat from you, fruit from you, again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out to the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God. Jesus answered, we thank God for the reading of his word. An alien came down to earth and stepping from his spaceship, 
He announced to the gathered crowd, he said, I come in peace. And when he took out a halt from his holster, a laser weapon, and began to shoot randomly into the crowd, and a man standing close to him said, I thought you said you'd come in peace. Aha, you misunderstand me, said the alien. My ship is called peace. You know, it's very easy when we come to Palm Sunday, we read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, that we just assume that this is the first time that Jesus has come to this city as an adult. But he's coming on that long road from Jericho, Jericho being the deepest city in the world, the lowest down city in the world, and walking those 18 miles, climbing 2,500 feet to reach Zion, Jerusalem, the city of God. It's easy just to assume that there was Jesus on foot with all the other pilgrims, like the other pilgrims, coming into this city as a pilgrim. In fact, we need to remember several things. First of all, is that this Jesus had been to Jerusalem many, many times. In fact, his closest friends were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they lived in Bethany. And Bethany was just a village, just within a mile of the city of Jerusalem, alongside Bethphage. These two villages were considered to be a dormitory to the city of Jerusalem. So during the festival times, people would often stay. When Jerusalem was filled up, they would stay in Bethany and Bethphage because they were within a day's walk of the, of the, of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus had been to Bethany many, many times with his friends and with no doubt many, many times walked through this, the gates, the various gates around Jerusalem into the city. In fact, Matthew's account of coming on that road from Bethany to Jerusalem on this very day, he records something about Jesus. And Matthew writes in chapter 23 and verse 37, he says that when Jesus stood above the city of Jerusalem on the Bethany road, he cried out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus stands there on this final return to Jerusalem and looks over the city and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather you. Jesus has walked that road many, many times, often wanting to gather the people of the city in his arms, but the city had refused. Jesus was not approaching Jerusalem as an unfamiliar pilgrim. He was not coming for a holiday. He was not coming to look around the wonders of that city for the first time in his adult life. He was coming as a king. And the first thing I want you to notice in this passage is this. He comes in peace. He comes in peace. You see, pilgrims traditionally travel by foot. And Jesus, in fact, has traveled the first 17 miles of this journey on the infamous Jericho Road to Jerusalem. He's traveled with the other pilgrims on foot. But as he begins to approach Bethphage and Bethany, he sends a couple of the disciples ahead. We're told in verse 1 and 2, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to two of his disciples, Go on ahead to the village. As you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there. But no one has ever ridden. You see, Jesus had made preparations. This was not just him returning to this city on one of his many 
jaunts and visits to this town. He was coming especially to do something. And he wanted to make a scene. And in one sense, this is totally bizarre because Jesus was a wanted man. Already the religious authorities, the scribes and the Pharisees, the priests were looking at for a way to arrest him and to have him killed, to have him silenced. And they would have been watching the gates of the city. And it would have made more sense for Jesus to have snuck in under the cover of darkness later on. Or perhaps even come in in amidst the crowds with his head covered in a shawl, hiding in, in full sight. But he doesn't. He decides to make a real entrance. And he's actually fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament, particularly the prophecy of Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9. And he decides that he's going to announce his arrival using an Old Testament picture that hails the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the King into Jerusalem. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was announcing to everyone on that, that very first Palm Sunday that he wasn't just coming as a pilgrim. He was coming as a king. And not just a king, but as the king of that city. He was the Messiah. And the pilgrims recognize this because immediately they reacted the traditional way of reacting. Evelyn told us earlier on that when the shanty came, king came in that women went in front of him dancing and were in celebrational mode. And here we have the people dancing in front of Jesus in celebrational mode. They begin to give him a royal salute. We read in verse 8, Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread branches they had cut in the fields. They recognized him as a king. And this idea of spreading down your cloaks or spreading leaves down in front of the king was, it was very common in the ancient world. In fact, when Jehu is announced king in 2 Kings chapter 9, the very same thing happens. A prophet comes to Jehu and, and tells him that God has appointed him to be the new king. And, and Jehu returns to his men and the men ask him, what did the, what did the prophet want? And we read in 2 Kings chapter 9 this, Jehu said, here is what he told me. This is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on bare steps. And they then blew trumpets and shouted, Jehu is king. It was a common way of showing homage to a new king. And so the people, recognizing who Jesus was, took off their cloaks. And in fact, the disciples had done the very same thing when, Jesus, when, the, when the other disciples arrived with the donkey. They took off their cloaks and they put it over the back of the, the donkey to make a makeshift, makeshift um, saddle for Jesus. And this was a donkey that had never been ridden. Jesus was quite specific to say to find the colt of a donkey. A donkey that never worn the harness. Never been ridden by anyone. It was a, a pure donkey. And in that sense, it was set aside for a sacred task. It was the donkey that would carry the king of kings into Jerusalem. But also there's another picture taking place here. Why a donkey? 
That comical image, as J.K. Chesterton wrote about in that poem, the, the, the animal with short legs and a big body and a huge head and massive ears. The comical donkey, famous for young people in the film Shrek, as a character called the donkey with the voice by Eddie Murphy. The comic, the animal that everyone looks at and laughs at, the animal that no one takes seriously. Jesus took this animal and he rode into Jerusalem on its back. Why? Because he was given another sign. You see, in the ancient world, when you came into a city as a king, there was only two ways of coming in. You could come in as conqueror. You could come in as the one who was to subdue the city. And if you came in as conqueror, the method of coming in was on a war horse, normally a white war horse, at the head of a mighty army. And everyone who saw the king on a white war horse knew that they had to submit or they will be slaughtered. But this king was coming to enforce his rule. But if a king wanted to tell the people of that city he came in peace, the effective method was to come in to the city upon a donkey. Because a donkey is a humbling animal. Having lived in the Middle East many times, when people use donkeys, often their legs trail comically over the edge because the donkey is a small animal. It's got small legs. And sometimes if a person is particularly tall, their feet will be dragging on the ground as the donkey carries them forward. They are a comical beast. Armies don't use, um, don't use donkeys because they're, they're too small. They're, too, they're not only too small, they're too slow. They're not able to charge the enemy. They can't carry a heavy knight in armor. They were far too slow, and where they were the beast of burden. The donkey was the working class man's animal. The donkey was there to be laden to carry his goods when he went to the market. The donkey was, in fact, the white van of the ancient world, the transit van, the Ford van, the van that people would load up and use. It wasn't a, a great sign of wealth. It was the working man's vehicle, the beast of burden. And Jesus, on coming on the back of that animal, he was saying, I come in peace. I come as a working man. I come to reach everyone. I'm not pompous. I'm a man of the people, a king of the people. And you know what? The people recognize the sign. They recognize the image. And they begin to shout. And they begin to shout this Hebrew expression, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And that word that, that is an actual expression. It literally means in the Hebrew language, Lord save. Lord save. It was a heartfelt plea for help. In fact, we find this being used in the Old Testament when common people encounter the king. For example, the famous account of the woman of Tekoa, it says this in 2 Samuel 14, it says, When the woman of Tekoa went to the king, she fell with her face to the ground to pay him honor, and she said, Help me, your majesty. Literally, she said, Hosanna, help me, your majesty. On another occasion, a desperate woman on the besieged city of Samaria sees the king, the king of Israel, walking on the city walls, and she cries to him, Hosanna, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 26. As the king of Israel was passing on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord the king. She cries, Hosanna. Help me, my lord the king. 
And when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the people looked to him and shouted, Help me, help me, my Lord the King, Hosanna. Jesus comes in peace, but he also comes inspecting. He comes inspecting. You see, it's very important when we read read the Bible to recognize those little messages that seem to be unusual. There's nothing in the Bible that's not there for a reason. The Bible is the word of God. It's wonderful, and it's full of great truths for us to unpack. I've been a Christian many, many years, and I just love reading Scripture because every time I read it, there's something there that's new that comes out. And, and here in, there's this wonderful little verse in verse 11 that says this, Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and all those weary pilgrims that have come those 18 miles up the Jericho Road, have climbed two and a half thousand feet, who are weary and covered in dust, who are hungry and thirsty. After the great celebration in the gate, as Jesus comes into the city, they disperse and go to their lodgings. But not Jesus and his 12 disciples, no. He goes straight to the temple. Because he wants to check up on something. He wants to inspect something. He wants to see if something's changed since the last time he was here. And we're told he goes into the temple courts. He looks around. But he can't do anything then because it's too late. And so then he decides to leave it until the next day. And he goes home until tomorrow. You see, Jesus is not just coming in peace. He's coming on an inspection. He wants to check up on something. So what does he return and do the next day? Well, he goes back into Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is he cleanses the temple. He cleanses the temple. But we don't get there until we go through another random, or so-called random incident. Remember what I said, there's nothing random in Scripture. God's very wonderfully wise. I mean, God God is the Word. He is wisdom, personified. It talks about Jesus coming across a fig tree. And his first thing in the morning, it's early. He had a busy day before. And fig trees were wonderful because they were, they, 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 in fact, Bethage means the house of figs and Bethany means the house of dates. So the, the whole area was famous for its fig trees and its date trees. But Jesus sees something that's unseasonal. He sees a fig tree that's in full bloom. Really unusual. It's beautiful. It's got all the leaves. It's Passover, so it's early spring. You know, it doesn't normally produce, uh, have bloom until late spring. And, uh, uh, sorry, until, until later on, about a month, month or six weeks later. He sees this wonderful tree in full bloom, and he's hungry. And he thinks, I'd love some figs. So he goes to this tree with all the promise. And he pulls back the leaves, expecting, because they don't normally blossom until they've got figs on. And suddenly he discovers it's got the blossom. It's got the glory. But he hasn't got the fruit. And so he curses that tree and says it will never bear fruit again. It hasn't borne fruit now, so they will therefore always be barren, unable to bear fruit. And what's happening here, this is an inactive parable, because figs in the Old Testament often speak of the fruitfulness of the people of God, of their spirituality, of the Israelites. You find this in the Old Testament. Micah 7 verses 1 to 6 says this. What misery is mine? God speaking. What misery is mine? I am like the one who gathers summer fruits at the gleaning of the vineyard. 
There is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. And then in Hosea 9 verse, and Hosea has quite a a few um, prophecies about figs. Hosea 9 verse 16, it says this, Ephraim is blighted, their root is withered. They yield no fruit. So Jesus' encounter with this fig tree, go into the fig tree and unfurling the leaves, so full of promise and discovering no fruit, is an active parable. Jesus is symbolizing what's about to happen when he comes into the temple. Because that temple was one of the eight, seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a glorious temple built by Herod the Great, built with thousands and thousands, millions of pounds in ancient currency. Took years and years to build. It was a wonder. It was a glory. It sat there on Temple Mount. And in fact, the first thing you saw as you came down the road from Bethany was the glory of the temple. Rather like now, today you see that mosque on top of Jerusalem and you see the great dome reflecting the sun. There sat the temple, glorious, with all its leaves, with all its blossom, with all its flourish. And yet when Jesus went into that temple and peeled back the leaves... He found no fruit. And so he cursed that fig tree. And so this comes to the final point that we see in Palm Sunday, in Jesus coming into Jerusalem, because he comes in peace to the people. He comes inspecting to the religion, to the, to, to the, to the religious society, but he also comes in judgment. He comes in judgment. We read this in Malachi 3, another prophecy about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Malachi 3, it says this, there God is speaking, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. Notice it's his temple. He will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Jesus was coming in peace, but upon the religion of his day, he was coming in judgment. And this is why the night before, the first place he had checked when he went into the city of Jerusalem wasn't the lodging houses, wasn't to go for a quick beer in one of the alehouses. He went to the temple to see if things had been since the last time he had been in the temple. You see, Jesus had already cleansed the temple once before. We often just see this event as happening once, but it doesn't happen once. We read in John's Gospel that during the early stages of his ministry, at the very first Passover in his ministry, he cleansed the temple then, just following the very first miracle, the cleansing, turning the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. We read about this in John chapter 2 and verses 13 to 17, but he goes into the temple and he sees the, the decayed state of the temple. He sees the way the religion of the Jews have become. And he overturns tables and he chases out people, makes a whip and chases out those who are exploiting people. And so when he comes to Jerusalem, uh, the day following Palm Sunday, he actually does a very similar thing. And what's been fascinating is that 
archaeology and research has, has shown us something that we didn't know until recently. You see, something very significant happened to the temple and the temple worship in AD 30, which is around about the time that Jesus began his ministry. Caiaphas was the new high priest. He'd been appointed over Annas by the Roman authorities, seen as a more pliant person than the, the old man, An 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 Annas. And Caiaphas was very frugally, uh, sorry, was very fiscally clever. He'd seen a gap in the market. You see, just next to Jerusalem and Temple Mount, there was the hill that Jesus comes across, the Mount of Olives, called the Mount of Olives because it was full of olive trees. And on the Mount of Olives were four ancient markets that had been there for years. And they sold everything you needed for temple worship. On the road from Jericho to the one, the main road into Jerusalem, in fact, the major road from Galilee into Jerusalem, all the pilgrims would have passed these four markets and got a chance to buy their doves needed for worship or their lambs if they're wealthy. And they would have collected their, 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 what required for their worship and would be able to go into Jerusalem prepared to worship. But Caiaphas had noticed a gap in the market. He suddenly realized that he could run a monopoly not on the Mount of Olives. He could run a monopoly right in the very heart of the temple area itself. You see, every Jew had to do two things at Passover. First of all, they had to pay the temple tax, and secondly, they had to make a sacrifice. Now, the temple tax was quite a simple matter. It was simply six pence, which doesn't sound very much, and, but when you've got to bear in mind is that 3.5 pence was a day's wage, so 7 pence was two days' wages. So 6 pence actually was quite a lot of money in those days, equivalent of, you know, I don't know, 200 pounds. But in order to pay the temple tax, you had to pay in temple shekels. And because the main currency in all that area was Roman denarius or Roman coins, they had, the money had to be changed from the Roman currency to the temple currency, and that would be a role of the money changers. And the money changers would charge you one pence per, per transaction, but if you didn't have the exact currency, the exact change, you charged you another penny. So suddenly, the temple tax for most people became eight pence, nearly three days' wages. So once you've paid your temple tax, and you're squared down, you've lost three days' wages, you then had to offer a sacrifice. Now, wealthy people were required to offer a lamb, but if you weren't wealthy, and most people weren't, you could offer a dove or a pigeon. And the average price on the amount of olives for a pigeon was about six pence. So again, two days' wages. But Caiaphas recognized the way in which they could actually make a lot of money. And so what they did, Caiaphas did, was he appointed inspectors across the Temple Mount. And when people came into the came into the temple, bringing their sacrificial animals with them, they would be expected by the inspectors, and most of these animals did not meet the required perfect, perfect standard. They were turned away as being unsuitable for sacrifice. But if you want a perfect animal, if you want an animal that's pre-passed, that has a guarantee, that's stamped and certified by the priests of the temple, then you can buy from the temple market. How much, does that, how much does that dove cost? Does it cost six pence as it does on the Mount of Olives? <laughs> no, no, it's been pre-approved. You know, there's effort and work in this. So it would be up to 75 pence you'd pay for a dove, almost a month's wage for an average working person. In other words, what we see here is that Caiaphas was exercising a cartel right 
in the midst of the temple that really impacted upon the working classes, the poor people, because they were being ripped off. They could get a bird that would be perfect on the Mount of Olives for six pence, but they'd been charged up to 76 pence on the Temple Mount for a pre-approved bird. And not only that, if that wasn't bad enough, where had Caiaphas built this market? He had built it in the temple, in the temple itself, on the Temple Mount, in the court of Gentiles which is where it was the only part of the temple where the non-Jewish people could come and worship God. That area that was reserved, because you had four courts, you had the court of Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the Israelites, which was a men's court, and the court of priests. You had these four layers that went into the inner sanctum, and then within that you had the holies of holies, within the court of priests. The only area that a Gentile worshipper could come to the temple was no longer a place of prayer, It was a market. It was a place where you could smell the animals, where you walked in the excrements, where there were shouts and and bartering and noises of people moving money around. It was no longer a place of prayer. And Jesus is outraged. He's outraged because it wasn't just people. It was the leaders of the priests. It was the leaders of the religion that have done this. And he says, my house should be a house of prayer, but you... You have turned it into a den of robbers. Here's huge irony. Jesus and the disciples had just come up the road to Jericho, the famous road that you hear about in the the Good Samaritan story. It was a place famous for its brigands, a place famous for the outlaws that would rob pilgrims going to Jerusalem. A dangerous road was the Jericho road. And Jesus was saying, actually, the Jericho road's easy because only when you come into the temple, that's when you're fleeced. It's only when you get here in this holy place, that's when you're robbed. You're robbed by the priests, the very people that are meant to represent you to God. They're the people that are robbing us. Jesus was angry, righteously angry. And he wasn't just angry because of the cartel, because of the extortion. Religion being used in extortion, as a means of extortion and making money. He was angry because of the Gentiles. Because it wasn't just a place of prayer. Isaiah 56 verse 7 says this, For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And God had chosen the Jewish people not just to be saved, but to be a light to the nations of the world. And here the only court in which the Gentiles could come and pray, they couldn't pray because it had been turned into a wet market. Jesus was angry. It became a place of exclusion, a place of greed. The religion was corrupted, as filthy as the excrement of the animals that laid upon the stones of that Gentile court. Jesus was angry. And he turned to the crowd and to the leaders and said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers? Here, he was saying, here is the place of thievery. You're not just stealing the money and the bread from the mouths of children. You're stealing their ability to pray and to worship God. You're misrepresenting God so badly, you are a blasphemy. And so what do the priests do? Do they go and repent and tear their clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes? Do they repent before God? No. No, they decide to confirm what Jesus said. 
rather like that fig tree. And they begin, like brigands and murderers, to plan murder and silence the word of God. The reason why this whole passage is important, the reason why the cleansing of the temple is important to put in the context of Palm Sunday is this is that Jesus came into Jerusalem in peace. And Jesus comes to this world through through Jerusalem in peace. And he comes for you and me to cry to him, Hosanna, save me, Lord. Save me. But just like he inspected the temple twice, Jesus will be returning. He'll be coming to this earth again. This Palm Sunday is is, is a picture of when Jesus will return again. And he'll come not just into Jerusalem on this occasion, but come to this planet again, return. And when he returns, we're told in the Old Old and New Testament, he will not return on a donkey. He no longer will come in peace. He will come to conquer. We can read about this in Revelation chapter 19, where it says this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him, but no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heavens were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out his mouth was a sharp sword, which strikes down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who is this rider who comes at the head of the armies of God? Who comes on a white horse, whose name is faithful and true? Who is the word of God? Who is the king of kings and lord of lords? Who is that? There's only one person that could be. And that is no other than Jesus Christ himself. You see, as Jesus went into Jerusalem and cleansed it once... And told them the standard by which he required us to live. He will come again. And he will hold us to that standard. He will hold us to whether we've cried Hosanna. To whether we've laid down our lives in front of him. To whether we've displayed that humility that's required before a king. Whether we've cried to the son of God. And asked him to save us. To save us from ourselves. And make us into his people. Make no mistake, all you watching this, this, this service this morning, Jesus is the loving Son of God, but now is the accepted time. Now's the time to bow the knee to Jesus, because when he returns at the head of his army, it will be too late, and he will come to vanquish, to conquer, and those who have not given their lives and bow the knee will be conquered in his coming. He expects in our lives fruit. Not to be like the temple of Jerusalem that in AD 70 was conquered by the emperor Titus ahead of a Roman army. He expects us not to have the blossom and the leaves. Jesus is looking beyond the leaves and the blossom, beyond the proclamation and the worship. 
He's looking at your life for fruit. The fruit of the Spirit of God, of his presence. Of lives blessed and changed. Not the fruit of the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the fruit of Caiaphas. Extorting, taking. But the fruit of giving, of blessing. Jesus is looking for fruit in the lives of his people. And of the lives of everyone. Palm Sunday is a wonderful occasion. Because Jesus comes in peace. And he comes to inspect the bad things that hurt us and extort us. But when he returns, he comes in judgment. People, be ready. Make sure there's fruit in your life. Make sure that you have already bowed the knee and cried to him, Hosanna. Because all those who cry, Lord, save me, will indeed be saved and blessed by his coming. Amen.